You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Friday the 10th of February. It's another beautiful morning here in TW11. I'm buoyed by a lovely day at Huntingdon yesterday. I'm looking forward to another trip out tomorrow to Warwick, where there are some Cheltenham Festival hopefuls on display. None more high profile than John Bon, though Love Envoy will be strutting her stuff there as well, en route perhaps to a a match with Honeysuckle and Epatant and others in the Mayor's Hurdle. So that's something to look forward to. Loads to, to go out at Newbury as well, where champion trainer Paul Nichols could well go through the card. We'll be discussing that later in the show. I'll also be catching up with uh, cricketing legend Craig Kiesvetter, who is developing a serious bloodstock empire between South Africa and Europe and is responsible for the part ownership of Il Etetan, who was one of the great surprise packages of the Dublin Racing Festival, as well as last year's Royal Ascot winner, Candleford. So all well in their world. Some interesting thoughts about some of their prime bloodstock in Ireland and in the Southern Hemisphere. But first of all, yesterday was a racing together day for the sport. Lydia Hislop is with me to explain perhaps what that is. And also... Um, what the BHA chair Joe Somarez Smith was talking about in his keynote yesterday and why it matters, Lydia. Well, it was an industry sort of brainstorming day, really, getting together and talking about the matters that uh, you know pertain to the industry and what should be uniting them um, rather than dividing them. And uh, the British Horse Racing Authority chair, Joe Samuel Smith, gave the kind of keynote address, which was um, the headline being he was talking about the future of horse racing and uh, putting people on alarm about whether the, the sport would still survive in 30 years' time, pointing out the challenge of... Of the changing perception of the sport amongst younger demographics and basically saying that the BHA would have to up its game in talking to uh, politicians, change the perception of what horse racing is all about, make sure that racing is at the heart of um, a local community, um, get more up to date in terms of um, social media and the way that social media might be mobilised against the sport um, and just generally say that you know the new governance structure when 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 change comes if it comes uh that that he hopes that it won't be challenged particularly not legally because there are challenges that the sport is facing and they need to act rather than have them delayed by dissent i was quite interested in the the community part of this when i first read this i thought yes racing does need to get into the the heart of, of community and use all its assets to be an integral part of the community particularly in in urban areas but I, I was then struck by what appeared to be a, an admission of of British racing's failings he said we were behind the curve what do you think he meant I think he underestimated the uh, power of campaigning that can be mobilized via linking what would otherwise have been disparate groups um, against uh, uh, and together against a particular cause in this case the utilization of animals for sport the thing i found bizarre about about this speech or what i've read at it, of it i wasn't there is that he he seems to think that the bh well it comes across that the that he believes the bha well hasn't been talking to politicians all of this this time or at best that that those conversations were inadequate and the bha could have done better there was a, a focus on the whip, which I think is, you know, way off the pace in terms of uh, what the the threat from a welfare perspective to racing is, and it just seemed very passive rather than active. So, are, are we going to go through it? I don't, there's, a, there's a number of things really to to discuss, aren't there? Go on. Um, well, where would you where would you like to start off? Um, his his concentration on on the whip is that simply because that's a a current talking point i mean how important is that in the wider context of the whole of the whole um welfare piece well i think it's a, a tiny pimple on on the concerns that <laughs> racing should have in, in terms of you know it's 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 production 
Um, what happens to horses that don't make it to the race course? What happens to horses after they have raced? Um, what happens to horses while they're at the race course? All of those things, but particularly pre and post, I think, are much, 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 much bigger issues than the, than the whip. Um, the whip is, 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 is a distraction, is a red herring, and the racing has expended so much energy on this rather than uh, focusing on the kind of recommendations and the research that the Horse Welfare Board, for example, are putting forward, I think is, is a nonsense. I mean, all we get from, from racing is um, pr protestations and uh, uh, you know, comments looking down on welfare advances such as the, uh, the you know the white trimmings on the new fences all I've heard from the racing community is negative comments about these are that you know people know nothing about racing well horse a horse is a horse is a horse and the people who have, who have put this scientific research into this know horses um, they involve live tri live trials people riding horses over jumps they know that horses scientifically see white better than they do orange green green and brown against each other so there's there's no there's no distinction to their uh, to the fences and the the point is that this small change could help more horses jump better now obviously it's not going to no one no one is claiming it's going to stop fallers but it's only incremental change now that horse racing can make and so more of these incremental well-founded data and scientifically driven changes are important and racing looks ridiculous when it uh counters these 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 scientific well-founded changes with anecdotal prejudice essentially and so i think that 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 horse racing should be focusing more on giving more funding and activating more of the recommendations of the horse welfare board and the the scientific community that is that is um, helping them and the the data um, that is that is driving all of these suggestions more quickly because you just it just gets stuck in the mud of horse racing where nothing ever happens nothing happens at all the needle returns to the start of the song and we all carry on like before. Somer Smith says it's a big challenge for the sport if we're not careful with our messaging and if we just pretend that nothing's happening the danger is that there's no racing in 30 years time it's a, a, a is he is he somewhere near the mark there or is that an arbitrary figure plucked out of thin air I think it's an arbitrary figure and it's a big figure I think he should be talking about 10 to 15 years personally and if if we're as complacent enough to think that this will only be a threat in 30 years time I think we'll already be gone by then um it's it's a problem now it needs action now and it doesn't need passiv passivity now either um so as I said more money more action drive reform quicker and also there was one point where he says um the younger, the under 35 see horses as domestic animals and do not think they should be raced. And he asked helplessly, how do we address that? Well, we address that by having a conversation about what the purpose of horse of the horse is in society. Hang on, I'd be I, if, if that was if that was in the House of Commons, I'd be up on my feet straight away with that sentence. They under 35 see horses as domestic animals and don't think they should be raced. Well, surely they don't think of them as domestic animals. They think of them as wild animals then. Oh yeah, well, well, quite. But what what happens with? I see, to see his point, though. But but what happens to animals without a purpose in in modern life? Well, indeed, and that, but that's the that's the case that anyone who um, deals with, with with animals in a in in a sporting or business context, that's the case that all, that you all have to make. Well, and but it's not being made. I don't see it being made. I don't even see it made, being part of the conversation in veganism, which is obviously a, a key part of the conversation. But we're talking about horse racing. So, yeah, we have to squarely address, you know, what happens to animals that do not have a purpose in society? Well, they become extinct. So uh, within uh, the, the idea that, you know, if you have a horse, if, if you have an animal that is a pet, then different rules govern the looking after of that pet and what is good and bad um care if you have a have a have an animal that has a purpose that is a working animal to some extent a diff different rules govern those animals and those are the kind of conversations that we should be having with um experienced people making those uh, well-founded arguments against notional arguments about people who are much more removed from the reality of what the horse is and what looking after a horse is and what a horse's 
um, purpose in society is. I, I, you know, that that's where this conversation should be going, and we should be having being brave enough to be able to to have it. My, you know, my concern is, I mean, look look at the Grand National entries. Martin Greenwood was oh. talking about oh. it yesterday. You know, and I endorse everything that he had to say. It's not in thirty years' time. It's now that that issues are impacting upon the sport, and so action is needed now. And action is not the whip. And action is not talking about the challenge um and and saying we have to be part of our local community which we absolutely do what we need to do is actually be doing and there seems to be no doing there hasn't been any doing a bit like our government you know in terms of there's lots of people talking to themselves rather than actually doing something i do endorse the point about being careful with messaging certainly uh, we have had a conversation several times before when things have come up here on the nick Luck daily podcast about careless language uh, being used where um, uh, trainer preference um, has been conflated with welfare and in the context of this conversation that is really really not helpful um, and also you know the, the reference to the whip in Joe Samuel Smith's policy I mean I'm, I'm thinking about how the members of the BHA who have been dealing with Parliament for years and years and years and have um, got this close relationship with them and they, they must be thinking, well, we clearly, Joe clearly thinks we haven't done a good job. Ditto, the comment about the whip seems to <laughs> seems to ignore the, uh, what has been done on the whip in the last three years. Now, eventually it, is, it has come through and, you know, just removing whether or not uh, you approve of it. The fact is that something has been done, changes happening as of Monday and now, I will stress, I have only read the extracts of the speech and maybe it addressed the subject more roundly. But, you know, the the idea, if you if you just read the Racing Post piece, you would think that the whip, the rules of the whip and the attitude of the whip haven't changed at all. At the end of the piece also, we had a comment about the the white paper, which I suppose, and the frustration uh, <laughs> of, about gambling and the frustration that we're no further forward with that, which leads us to another subject. If you think, if you think you can hear me laughing, it's because I am. It's like, <laughs> how long ago was I was Philip Davis on this podcast? Like three days ago. It's it's mm. got about fifteen revolutions since then of, of being. He said, yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to going to come before the Cheltenham Festival. He sent me a message later that day. Hold on. It'll be after Cheltenham. The next day, there was a mini reshuffle. Officially, we still don't know who the gambling minister is, though sources close to the uh, the action tell me that it is likeliest. If this may have been published by the time you listen to this podcast, Stuart Andrew, yeah, the current sports uh, minister. Exactly. Well, I was going to say exactly the same thing. So, the parliamentary under under secretary of state at the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, as of the seventh of February. Um, yeah, racing essentially is going back under the umbrella of sport, which I think is a positive thing because you mean yeah, same... well, bet, well, betting is going back with racing, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, that the two so... of them are, are coming together together under sport, and I think that that is um, that's that's very important. That the two of them are intertwined, they come together, and I think that it is much better. There's a much better outcomes and much less chance of. Um, things unintentionally going wrong if racing and gambling are, are considered under that umbrella rather than in another umbrella in in an arena where uh, sports are not um you know their funding is shaky the the degree to which uh, gambling um helps fund them i think it's it, the the ministers who are making um decisions about gambling need to see that clearly so in terms of the reshuffle i think that is a positive thing but just to, to come back again so you know, we shouldn't be surprised. The political landscape in Britain and elsewhere in the world, but we live in Britain, is turbulent still. And there is a revolving door um, in terms of many different departments. And, and this is the gambling minister is one of them. And that's not going to change anytime soon. Nothing that Rishi Sunak has done as prime minister so far suggests that's going to change. And very soon, everyone's going to be in general ele election mode with that looming. So we're in a in, we're in a, a turbulent political landscape, so nobody should, should be surprised that there is further delay. Second point is that the gambling review has never really been that uh, that much of a priority for government. That much is clear. It's well down the, the list of, of interest. One one positive shift that had happened was that um, ministers like Paul Scully, who you know had, had Im, Im, impressed me to a degree in terms of that he was prepared to talk to actual gamblers rather than um, purely the, um, the betting lobbyists and the anti-gambling lobbyists. He was actually interested in the people it would actively impact. So he seemed to me to be a good thing. And I also welcomed the move away from the rhetoric that Chris Philp had, which was very moralised about gambling and hopefully that will stay but you know it's not this isn't a priority and third 
this white paper it's being built up particularly i think in in the racing post and by the the gambling lobbyists as some sort of landmark moment it's just it's just a staging post in a long drawn out process you know it's not it's not the publication of a bill it probably won't lead to that much leg legislation and it's just fires the starting gun on a, on a long series of consultation processes or process a process via the the gambling commission so uh, in the meantime again i come back to the point why is the sport being so passive you know what stasis is not acceptable and i do not mean stasis of government in this case i mean stasis from our industry why can't racing set its own agenda why can't it agree uh, behaviour protocols with bookmakers for its customers, including, and I come back to your Philip Davis um, uh, interview, he mentioned it, uh, a minimum a minimum betting law, a minimum bet law, you know, making sure that fans of the sport can actually express that interest via getting a reasonable bet on to a liability limit for, for bookmakers. But, but I've, I've said this so many times, I feel like I'm just putting a, a record on, but why doesn't racing itself decide what it wants and seek higher standards and demand safer gambling from the bookmakers with which it has commercial arrangements? It should ask itself, racing this is, the industry, the BHA board, the people who run us, whether a percentage of of our income, racing income, doesn't actually withstand moral scrutiny. You know, you don't need other people. Like, uh, Joe, Joe Samuel Smith said, we would like to see the white paper published as soon as possible because that will give us certainty. It will also give the bookmakers certainty about what can and can't be done and we can react to that. Do these people lack the ability to, to, to work out for themselves what is and isn't the right side of the line? I, I, I don't think that's good enough. We should be well, able to set that also it won't It won't give you certainty because, as you pointed out, it is not. it does not become law. It is not enshrined in law. With the publication no, it, of the white paper, it's, it's. I mean, the amount of nonsense that be, is being spouted by, about this is just absurd, and we're just in a in a perpetual um, cheerleading mode for for the gambling industry. I mean, horse racing, wake up! You know, do something to help yourself. You know, set some standards. Ask your commercial partners, the bookmakers, to come up to those standards. Have a moral compass. Face some difficult questions. Uh, you know, it's so so frustrating. Um, you know, we sh we should talk about Lucy Fraser, and she's the MP for South East Cambridgeshire, in which the July course comes within so, her so, unit. Yeah. So, so she will now be she will now be known in racing as the Newmarket MP, Lucy mm. Fraser. Completely different constituency from Matt Hancock, who is the Newmarket MP, but she mm. will now be known as the Newmarket MP. Move aside, Hancock. Fraser is our savior. <laughs> Or, or is she Sunak, who once visited Catrick? Oh, um, he's mid Midland constituency. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm, I was being, I was being satirical. The uh, Kingsley Clarion is at the top. Yeah, when he opens the red box, the Kingsley Clarion sits on the top of his briefing papers. Wouldn't you, know you love that? that to, wouldn't you love that to be the case? You know, a regular John Scanlon reader. That would be, that would be absolutely brilliant. You know, the red box. He, he drops his his briefcase and out tumbles back back episodes, back copies of the Kingsley Clarion. I mean, that would just be marvelous. Honestly, but Lucy Lucy Fraser has a has a legal background. She, you know, she will be delivering for her constituency, and I would imagine that her alliances are to her constituency rather constituency's needs rather than necessarily the sport. If you see the distinction that I am making, um, I remember her being on Newsnight defending the indefensible on behalf of Boris Johnson. But uh, anyway, let's let's see what she does um, and uh, for, for in this arena. But as I said. Racing just needs to wake up and help itself. All right, so everyone was expecting a big performance from Rare Edition at Huntingdon yesterday in the Sydney Banks. A big performance didn't come. He ran all right, finished second. Um, but he didn't show the same zip that he'd shown at Kempton. His uh, co-owner, Bill Esdale, is a, a friend of the show, joins me now. I, to be honest, Bill, I'd, Charlie Longsden gave us so much time yesterday. I didn't, I didn't really want to rub salt into the wound this morning. But you've got news of Rare Edition. Yeah, he was, Charlie was very upset yesterday afterwards, as you, as you can imagine. But he was—he um, did scope bad after the race, so that kind of explains a fair bit. Because Sam said afterwards he just never travelled, never really jumped with his usual zest, and, and to take him home and have a look at him, and that's what Charlie did, and he, and he scoped bad. So that kind of explains a lot, a lot kind of not taking much away from the winner. He did it really well, but we just weren't our usual self yesterday. And look, a week off, bit of antibiotics, and he'll be back. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we've sort of got to the situation now that if a horse gets beaten or runs flat or badly, then everyone sort of completely revises their plan. Is there any reason why you shouldn't just press ahead with plan A if he's if he's okay come Cheltenham? No, no, totally. I mean, that would that would be the plan. I said to Charlie yesterday. I said, look, let's let's rebuild and and you know if he's if he's working like he was pre Cheltenham uh, pre Kempton, then there's no reason to 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 not kind of stick to the original plans. I think you know combination of slightly softer ground, drop back to two miles. Um, I think he's he's you know we'd be back to kind of plan A. I mean, he um, Richard Johnson mentioned to me about Menorah getting beaten over two miles three and then coming back and winning a supreme. Uh, and you know it made a man of him getting beaten, and sometimes you can toughen them up by getting them beaten. So um, it's not all disaster. It's kind of we rebuild and go again. And it must have been a, a great journey for for all of you so far. I know the the latest the latest um, chapter isn't isn't the one you wanted, but it, it for for a horse that cost what was it forty forty five thousand for for a whole bunch of friends, it, it must have given you loads of pleasure. Yeah, loads of loads of four hundred fifty thousand. Um, if you believe the rating post, yeah, no, forty five grand. Um, it's given them loads of pleasure, and for lots of people, it's their first ever kind of dalliance into ownership, and that's why yesterday they they were disappointed because he's not five from five; he's four from five. But sometimes you just have to take stock and um, and rebuild, and that's what we'll do. Yeah, when when all your syndicate members saw that that he'd apparently cost four hundred and fifty thousand, when in fact you'd only paid forty five thousand, um, they must have raised an eyebrow to think that God, Bill's very generous. It's normally the other way around, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, um, no, they were, there was a bit of head scratching, but I think everyone realised that was just a typo in the end. But um, hopefully, he'll be back on track to being worth one hundred fifty thousand. So that's what we—that's the plan: rebuild and, um, yeah, hopefully the Cheltenham dream is not over. Good stuff, Bill. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks. Right, Lydia, we're going to get quick fire now with Bye. what's happening over the weekend because there are important horses running. And I will uh, I will spin through a good few of them, and you can give me a line on on each of them. Well, should I start at Warwick tomorrow? I decided I wanted to go to Warwick because mm-hmm. I wanted to see John Bon and Love Envoy. How straightforward is John Bon's task tomorrow? I think it's going to be a proper test. I was really impressed with Hadexia Zobo's performance uh, in hand- handicap company, small field, admittedly, but really clearly enjoying himself i mean he likes to go forward he likes to attack his fences that ha- that is how he's it wasn't you know jamie moore asking him to do that although he was pleased to do it uh had it says obo wanted to go from obstacle to obstacle so he is going to set a proper test for john bond i think as things stand in terms of the two mile novice division el fabiola's win of the irish arkle sets the standard in terms of actual form achieved and if we're going on form for um the anti-post book for the arkle at the Cheltenham festival I think he should be favourite as things stand. Now, John Bon has a chance to put down another substantial point here against Haddock Zobo, who will give him a proper test. And if you're looking at the matchup between John Bon and El Fabiola, provided John Bon comes through this particular test, then you think back to Aintree, where there wasn't much between them. Um, This was over hurdles. El Fabiola got hampered at the third last, but did get his head in front of John Bon after the last, and John Bon got back up. I think John Bon's jumping is neater, even though Although El Fabiolo won so impressively in the Irish Arkle, a deep, strongly run addition, he made a number of errors. Um, and I think John Bond's technical aptitude is better in that department, and that could well be the difference between them. All right, he's possibly the most important horse running over the weekend, though there are plenty of others of interest. Um, I mentioned Love Envoy. Uh, would the ground be any kind of an issue for her? I don't know, is the honest answer. Um, well, there's not um, enough evidence to, to give us a steer, I suppose. Exactly. That's how I feel about it. I think it's a it's a it's a reasonable question, but uh, you know, it was when she when she won the Mayor's Novice Hurdle, the Dawn Run, sponsored by Ryanair at the, the Cheltenham Festival. It wasn't it wasn't that testing. It was good to soft, wasn't it that day? So you know, it, I think she's able to deal with that. Any quicker would be uh, an issue. Um, and it, I suppose Warwick are describing it as good, good to soft in places. It's the second race. So you'll find out after the first, exactly, well, have more information after the first, exactly what kind of ground she can expect. So, no, I'm, I'm not going to assume that it's an issue. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to see whether she handles it. But, you know, she looks an improved performer. Well, she is an improved performer this season. I've been very impressed with both of her successes so far. Ellie May is back in the Opera Hat Mayor's Chase at Nace 325 tomorrow. Yes, now she um, had some sort of small setback, according to Frank Berry, the racing manager to owner JP McManus. Um, and uh, But she has been back in training 
and heading towards Cheltenham. This has got to be a very, very, very good sign because I was kind of expecting her to see her next defending her title at Cheltenham. The fact that um, she's we're going to see her sooner has got to be positive in terms of, of her well-being. It's, gonna, right. it's, a deep, it's a, the deepest edition of the, the Mayor's um, chase at, at uh, Cheltenham. Looks likely at this stage to be by far the deepest edition yet. All right, well, as I said, I mean, it could be a go-through-the-card job at, at Newbury tomorrow for, for Paul Nichols, who's with me now. It won't have been lost on you. You've got chances in just about every race, Paul. Is this a, is this a meeting you've been targeting from a little way out? Yeah, we, we always do this meeting. It just happens that uh, all the races have sort of fell into horses that want good ground that we were sort of aiming for this meeting. And, um, uh, yeah, it's nice to have, obviously it's nice to have chances in all the races. Uh, the, the last minute one was Holt Town Hero yesterday in the Novice Hurdle. He won it Taunton early in the week, but when the race cut up and the ground as it is, I thought we'd take a look and it looks like a race he ought to be running in. I mean, Granatine is the one with the most the most obvious yeah. winning chance, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, when you look uh, back on the yeah. Tingle Creek, do you think do you think he he ran his race or not? No, I don't think he did. I think possibly I had him really ready to win the Holden Gold Cup because I thought we were running in that. It was a good race to win. He was ready for that. And probably it may have just took the edge off him for the Tingle Creek. Um, that's just one thing. I just don't think he quite fired. And the ground was slower than we thought it might have been as well. Um, so I've left him a little bit fresher this time and not done quite so much with him. So the idea is that he'll, he'll improve en route to Cheltenham. So before the Holden Gold Cup was on, he'd been away for a gallop and done plenty of work, was ready. I haven't taken him anywhere. He's just done plenty of work and he's ready to run. But he's, he's fresh and well more than, you know, what I call cherry right because we want that in march um how's hitman doing he's a horse that seems to be dividing he always divides opinion i don't know he's early in his career to be doing that but have you still have you still got faith in him if you put a line through the king george his last three runs he was second to packet of dares in the grade one at entry of 12 stone in the old run he just got beat and then he won one at haydock and so to me he's a progressive horse three miles good ground and suit him well Okay, so you're keeping the faith with him. And the the two in the Betfair hurdle, Hackaday Plass and, and Rubode, and we've heard what happened to, to the horse from, from Kempton yesterday. Clearly, scope dirty, didn't run his race, so excuses there. How well handicapped do you think Rubode is? Well, I, I, compared to my other novices, 130, I think it's a fair mark, you know. Um, I think the run at Kempton was good with, you know, the, him in... Uh, Dishon had had like, uh, penalties in there. He's a carried 10 pound more than the rest and both ran well. Ground was too soft for him, basically. I think he's a better or some better ground. We just thought it might end up good ground here. So it's suited, really. But look, he's only had the four runs over hurdles. He is inexperienced, so he's got plenty to do in my book. But, you know, with a bit of luck, he'll put that behind him and run well. you got him a fabulous back in the game? Yeah, he's in good shape. He loves fast ground, sun shining. Um, I don't think any of them jumped particularly well at Kempton, funny enough, in, in the quarter star. There was definitely an issue with the sun down the back straight, and they were all sort of jumping into shadows and one another, and he just didn't run his race, especially on soft ground. His ground's much more suitable. He's got to run off a stiff mark of 153, but in a three-runner race, I don't think handicap miles made too much difference. If he gets in a rhythm on the ground, he'd be hard to beat. I mean, who are you most looking forward to seeing tomorrow? I mean, clearly there's there's lots with really good chance. You've got a stack of favourites, odds on shots, high-profile horses. But who are you most looking forward to seeing for whatever reason? Well, I mean, the two really, Hitman and Grenatini, there's two big races. Those are two horses who've got, you know, progressive horses. I hope they've got targets down the road. So, you know, both of those two. And Paul, you go to Exeter on, on Sunday as well. Busy day there. Who'd be your, who'd be your most interesting runner there? Um, I run a lovely novice hurdler called Lallygag um, in, in the novices. He's, he's against Lucia and a couple of others, but he's been really progressive and um, he loves Exeter. I mean, grand that by Sunday could be getting a bit on the quick side, which will suit him. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to running him. And the Cheltenham horse is all in good shape. Brave man's game going okay? Yeah, it looks amazing. Really pleased with him this morning out and about him, Hermes Allen and Tamaris all doing the same sort of thing. Haven't run since Christmas. Very happy with him. Well, there you go. Quite understandably buoyant, Paul Nichols. Lydia, what do you think of tomorrow at Newbury? How straightforward is it going to be for these? Yeah, I think he probably will. Um, Russian ruler will be interesting um, after an operation to help his breathing um, against Holtan Hero in the novices hurdle at 10 past four. Obviously, the Betfair hurdle will be competitive, so he's going to have to, from Paul Nichols' perspective, um, negotiate that. Um, and I think he might be beaten in the Denman chase. Oh, with that, you, you're not... You're, you're, Jonathan Neeson and I were having this conversation yesterday. I'm, I, am, I am a hitman fan, you know that, but uh, yes. he's, a, he's a sort of horse that everybody loves to hate, so... <laughs> 
so you're being sort of you know perverse are you just taking the contrary view um no i just i've always i always thought he was good i think this might be that this is right in his in this is three flat left-handed undemanding three miles on good ground is probably what he wants yeah that this it's also what my selection of the race uh would want as well but i'm i'm i'm, I'm keeping that back because it's going to be my tip at the end oh, of the show okay you're teasing us and then on to ireland on sunday blazing carl against saint sam and others the return of blazing carl for charles burns who'd have thunk yes it? i was talking to charles about the likelihood of, of blazing carl getting to cheltenham um when grozny finished second in the handicap hurdle at the drf on saturday the dublin racing festival um, and he said it, he admitted it's getting late in the day. And he was saying that there was a piece of work that um, Blaise and Carl had to do. Uh, I couldn't remember whether it's Sunday or Monday, one of the two days, which would uh, determine whether he felt um, that the Boyne hurdle uh, at Navan uh, was an option. Well, there he is. So that's got to be a positive. But clearly there's quite a bit riding on this. We haven't seen this horse since the 11th of December. He's got a couple of defeats of Gelino Bello to his name. This is open... Um, grade two company and he'll be aiming towards open grade one company uh and there, as we've seen with with various horses uh going from novice hurdling to hurdling or um novice chasing to chasing there can be for certain horses a big gulf between those two divisions so it's not a given that blazing cow can just move straight into winning in that kind of league as he was as a novice proper racing at exeter on sunday as well i've just noticed lucia is in at Exeter in the listed novices hurdle where she's taking on Itak, Blue and Lallygag. So that'll be a decent test for her as well. It will be. She impressed, I think, with her hurdling, particularly at Newbury. Um, but we haven't seen her for a while. And the number of um, substantial performances and smart mares is stacking up in Ireland to the point where I think she looks a little bit vulnerable as things stand at the top of the um, market for the Dawn Run. Um and I think she's going to have to pull out a substantial performance here here at Exeter um, to maintain maintain that position. I mean, the likes of Ashro Diamond, I know she'll get a penalty, but that was a really good performance. But there are a number of other Irish-trained uh, mares who look very, very smart indeed. Again, that looks like it's going to be a more competitive race than it has been before. Well, my apologies. I'm a day late today with our friends at Racing Welfare, but very pleased to welcome Simone Sear, Director of Welfare, back to the show and i think simone you would like our help today rather than rather than vice versa how can we all help you okay yes thanks nick um we would like your help yes please um so how you can help us is we'd, we'd like to spread the message um to at, at this time to all employers across the horse racing industry um to ask them really to take 10 minutes of their very precious time to complete our evaluation um, of our services at Racing Welfare. So, how do we how do we do that? Have you have you sent a survey out to all the all the stakeholders and all the employers in racing? So, yeah. So so far, um, Nick, we have um, commissioned a company called Clarity CIC, who are undertaking an independent evaluation of our services. What we really want to know from people is, you know, what works well, critically, what doesn't, how we can improve, and how we can shape our services going forward, and you know, the people who use Racing Welfare services, their voices are going to be really important, um, you know, to that process. And so we have um, sent out surveys so far to our beneficiaries, so people to, who have used our services in the last couple of years and to some of our volunteers. And now it's the employers um, who actually are quite underrepresented in our services who we really want to hear from so our survey link is going up on our website later today so people can head to the home page um, and find a link to the survey there and our chief executive officer dawn goodfellow is going to be sending out letters as well um, or emails to employers also directing them to the link so yeah very very grateful if people could take that time to complete it and i was considering this when when i was reading yeah. through this last night that if you're an employer of a big workforce in racing and a number of your workforce have used the services of racing welfare, mm -hmm. you would only be human if at times you thought, well, what am I, what am I not doing that my, my workforce needs to use racing welfare? I, I'm, I'm guessing that you want to discourage that sort of thought process that you want to work with employers rather than 
the the employers seeing themselves as stigmatized because their their workforce need auxiliary help yeah absolutely um and and you know employers voices are so so important so so we really want to engage you know w- with employers and that that could be racehorse trainers it could be managers in yards um it might be uh, you know stud managers race course managers people who are responsible for hr it could be racing or stud secretaries anybody that has a role you know in the industry where people management you know is is part of their role um you know have a part to play in in helping us shape these services because they have to work for employers too and yet we we don't want we don't want there to be a stigma um but you know our services are, are pretty critical and have been developed to you know to help everyone and it's important that everyone's voices are represented and Simone you and I know that when you get sent surveys either by email or in <laughs> post the time it normally takes them to hit the the bin or the junk is is normally very very short so what we're doing is saying please just take the 10 minutes yeah. it'll help you it'll help everybody it'll help the whole yeah. racing workforce yeah we know we know at racing welfare how busy everyone is we know what a busy industry we work in but it really is 10 minutes it's quite simple um yeah it, and it really will help us to help you Simone, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, Simone, see you there from Racing Welfare around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their global stallion app and the excellent stallion book and a, a relationship that we developed on the podcast over the past couple of years with uh, Craig Kiesvetter, former England cricket star based now in his native South Africa and really developing a bloodstock empire of significance both at home and in Ireland through the Barn and Stud. And things are going well. Royal Ascot winner in Candleford last year. Some beautifully bred mares in foal in both countries. Canford Cliffs doing great as a stallion in South Africa as well. And, of course, just last weekend, Craig's father was on hand to witness grade one victory in unlikely circumstances when Ile Deton lowered the colours of Fasal Vega at the Dublin Racing Festival. Add that to victory with echoes in rain and all the delights of the last year, Craig. And I venture to suggest that... Um, System working, send more money. <laughs> things, are, yeah, things are going very well. It, um, when you have a couple of months like we've had, it, I suppose it makes you know it all the much sweeter and much easier to survive and stay committed when, when obviously inevitably things in this industry are challenging. So, yeah, fantastic, especially Sunday. You know, it, it's um, it was a great result. Obviously, Willie the Wizard is always. Um, Always pulling out the results, but for us it was it was really important. You know, we've got um, we've got partners in the horse, as as in Hollywood Bets, mm. who, who the horse runs in their silks. They um, are very very good friends of ours down in South Africa, uh, and obviously Ross Doyle and Patrick Wynne Jones. So it's a nice it's a nice little group, and fantastic to have the first ever Grade One winner for Hollywood Bets um, in their silks as well. So. Delighted with that result. Yeah, that's quite important as well. We were talking a little bit about Hollywood bets when I had Justin Fermark on the show a couple of months ago, I think it was. I mean, just just tell us why this is significant for everybody in, in South Africa and also as a, an ownership partnership with you guys. You know, so, so Hollywood bets are um, extremely passionate about the, the, the industry, not only in, in South Africa, but, but also globally. Um, and... You know, we've we've built up a very close friendship with the family there. It's a huge corporation, but um, but they are very very sound, down to earth um, breeding and racing enthusiasts. So, you know, it's in this industry, it, which it is an industry and it's a, a performance based sort of industry. Um, it's been fantastic to to be in partnership with them for for their first Grade One winner in South Africa with a, a filly of ours. Um, called Naked Snappy, who we bred, um, who won the Guineas and then won the Paddock Stakes on Lormoran's Queen's Plate Day or King's Plate Day. And and then obviously to have um, Elite Toms and, and Gust of Wind um, with them in the jumps. And then we've got a few, a couple down with with, with Richard Hannon and with, with Haggis in partnership with them. So to get... Um, well, I mean, to be honest, to get runners in grade one days and over festivals, we all know how difficult that is. But to to have a winner is is exceptional. So a lot of credit obviously goes to, to Willie Mullins and his team, um, to obviously um, Ross, Peter and Anna Doyle, who 
we work very, very closely with who source the horse and source a lot of our bloodstock for us and help us. Um, and so it's, it's nice to, to have a, a team that gel and mix and, and get, a, get a result like that. And Echoes and Rain's been doing great as well. You're going to go to Cheltenham with two live chances. If you could get a Royal Ascot success and a Cheltenham Festival winner within the same 12-month period, that's job done, isn't it? I think, yeah. <laughs> we were chatting about it earlier, so I may have to retire. But I think it's, you know, obviously we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but the fact that we've potentially got two really good runners, um, if, if all goes according to plan, at, um, at at the festival at Cheltenham, which is always great fun, and you know, Ascot for us is is a massive week, and it always is a massive week. Last last year we had Candleford who won the Duke of Edinburgh Handicap, and this year, um, you know, hopefully we might have have a young a young speedy filly that comes out, but but it's also looking that Echoes in Rain might potentially you know run it in the Queen Anne. So you know, to have runners uh, in the in the Queen uh, Alexandria. Yeah? The Queen Alexandria, sorry, that's it, yeah. Um, but to have, have runners on, on these meetings is, is hard enough as it is. So the fact that, that we have runners and are able to experience, well, which is quite obviously is the, probably the, the two biggest in terms of jumps and flat racing meetings and festivals in the world, um, it always makes it a lot more fun. So it's, it's going to be an exciting few months coming up for us. Now, I know why Queen Anne was on your mind. And frankly, I wouldn't put it past Willie Mullins to do anything. But I know why Queen Anne was on your mind. Because, of course, you stand uh, one of the great Queen Anne winners of recent times. Canford Cliffs, champion, first season sire in, in, in South Africa. How's he getting on? He's getting on really well. Um, he, yeah, he, last year, he was, he was the champion fresh, freshman sire. Um, and he produced only the second highest ever juvenile winners in the, in the history of the thoroughbred racing industry in South Africa. So, I mean, it's quite, um, quite surreal, you know, with him being the age he is at, at 15 to be called a freshman sire or a, well, a first season sire. But um, we were really impressed. You know, we, we found that, and obviously we did a lot of research when, when we acquired him, um, and we upgraded our broodmare band for him and we sent him a lot of speed mares. Um, and we found that that is actually, obviously he was a, a, a terrific miler, but we're finding that a lot of his progeny are, are sprinter milers, which in this industry, in the Southern Hemisphere, as, as South Africa is fairly similar to Australia, there's a lot of emphasis on, on speed and early speed. So he's had a terrific start. He's, he's just had another couple of winners over the last few days. Um and he he, he he ran, he had a filly called Rock the Fox on, on Durban July Day, r- lost um, a, a group one by a nose. So, you know, all in all, it's going really well on the farm. Um, we've got some more stallion firepower. The broodmare band, is we've improved and, and the results are really coming in. So for people that are obviously partners with us and, and um, have... The faith to, to get involved with, with Ridgemont Highlands bred horses, they're starting to, to see the dividends, which is really nice. And of course, the red and, and green half colours that everyone's familiar with, Echoes in Rain and Candleford, that's Barnain Stud, which is in, in Tipperary. Uh, your other wing, if you like. My goodness, there are some beautifully bred mares there. Urban Fox, we know about, the two-year-old colt with, with Charlie Appleby. Um, adorable, Dorcas Lane, Candleford's Dam. This is a, a smart broodmare band you're, you're assembling. What are the big plans for, for 2023? Um, you know, we had to sort of leave the the mare sale with our tails between our legs. Um, we went there with the intention to buy. And the the obviously the, the market there at, at Tattersall's was phenomenal. I mean, it was to be honest, it was incredible to watch, even though we, we left empty-handed. We had, a, we had a crack at a good 10, 12 mares. Um, but we're fairly strict with our sort of price ranges of what we value a mare at. So, you know, this we, we went in, we bought the farm, um, we invested in some really, really beautifully bred mares, and we've obviously sending them and have sent them to exceptional stallions. And the progeny that have that we've got are not only beautifully bred, but but looking and seeming to be to be good runners. So. We um, we're trying to we're going to try to build the, the broodmare band up. For us, it's it's boutique. You know, it can carry probably a maximum of twenty mares, um, but we want it to be sort of the cream of the crop for us, and and to have um, full black type mares producing or racing um, that come on the farm, and and that's the goal. You know, it's 
the market made it incredibly difficult to acquire the the mares and the bloodstock that that we really liked. Um, so plan B is to is to race the fillies and um, to put the ownership on the trainers to um, to get more black type for us. So that's exciting. And then on the flip side of of the Barnan operation, we have a small Southern Hemisphere band on the farm who. Uh, we've who are all grade one winners or grade two winners that are bred on on international lines and have strong pedigrees and, and we send them to stallions northern hemisphere you know we've we've, we've sent mares to uh, frankel and dark angel uh, new bay memas and we bring those babies back to south africa um to try and produce stallions you know the with the way that the ram value is it's very difficult to acquire a top class stallion purely on on the uh, on the value of the rand but we believe that with with, with these bloodlines um, the goal for us is to produce to produce a stallion and improve then the whole industry in terms of of offering a, um, an international mm. blood and pedigree into the into the industry this international operation has come come so far as well and i i, I was thinking about you craig the back end of last year when when England won the won the T Twenty final, and I, I couldn't believe it had been thirteen years since since you were man of the match in the corresponding final against Australia. Time has raced by. I'm not sure where. Time has certainly raced by. My grey hairs have proved that, um, but I'm not sure if that's either the age or the the industry. But it's um, yeah, it was quite. It was, I was quite nostalgic looking back and watching. I mean, they are an incredible team, um, phenomenal, phenomenal team, and. Um, it's been a really a fun career I've had, I suppose, from from cricket and to to racing, and been very fortunate to 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 come across some some terrific people that whose expe- whose expertise and knowledge and passion have have helped our operations um, get off to the start that we have. So um, it's a, a very much a big team effort. You know, we've I've got my parents and my brother. We've got Craig Carey down here in South Africa and Patrick <coughs> Wynne Jones at Barnan, and obviously with the Doyles, it's a it's a big team, but it's a passionate team, and and we are looking to to continue to develop both in South Africa and in the European market. Thanks to Craig, thanks to all my guests today. Lydia is still with me. Before we get a tip for today, Lydia, I want to pay tribute to Barracuda, who's died at the grand age of twenty eight. Jules Stairs hurdles winner back at the, in in the early noughties, a, a great horse trained by Francois Dumen, ridden. Um, with great flair by his son, his son Thierry, and we might well be reminded of the Barracuda era this year as, as Gold Tweet heads to the the same race for for France in a in a glorious throwback. What a what a lovely horse he was! He was a marvelous horse, a really fantastic horse. So, to what was then called the World Hurdle is now the Staying Hurdle in two thousand two thousand three. Four wins in the long walk, a couple of wins in the long distance. So they used to come over all the time to Britain and it was such a treat to have him over here. You know, various analysis of Thierry Dumont's riding of him. But, you know, the horse almost invariably got the job done, the two of them together. And you're right with uh, Gabrielle Leander bringing over gold t- uh, tweet for the cleave and now signalling that the horse will be supplemented for the stayers hurdle. It brings back those days when you used to regularly see the Dumans come over, Guillaume Macaire as well. And I do hope that this signals you know, more French horses coming over to, to to Britain's better races because it makes the whole experience better, yeah. um, you know, all, all of that together. But um, I was very, very fond of um, Barracuda, as you as you reminded me, the uh, the tableau that you, you've got of me at the Cheltenham Festival. Yes. It's quite, it's quite some tableau as well. If anyone's, <laughs> if anyone's stood anywhere near Lydia when she's either really loves a horse or back one or both, it's quite, it's quite something to behold. But this was definitely in the top three. <laughs> moments of Lydia celebration when Barracuda was beaten mm. by by not celebration but gift. cheering when, when um, was it no I think it was Ingalls Dreaver I thought it was Iris's gift well I thought it was the Ingalls Dreaver year when he was beaten that year but uh, whichever one it was um, well you you think you can remember me calling Thierry um, who was riding him against Iris's gift it was Tony McCoy who was on board against Ingalls Dreaver so Ah, okay i'm conflating i'm doing a i'm doing am i doing a bha conflation <laughs> you, you 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 might be <laughs> i might be whatever it was I've, I've made it all up in my head since then <laughs> either way you love the horse and it, I, that I image did. 
also the image of of, of Dumen. Do you remember the last run when he was there? Yeah. By the by the pre parading I do. Some wonderful uh, moments. Yeah, there have been some moments. Um, but when he also first lost his crown that that same day that that you're recalling when he was second to Iris's gift, I remember him standing in the the second spot and fondly tweaking the horse's tail. I mean, his fondness for the horse was was so great. But I mean, th- this horse was a a towering staying hurdle. I mean, this was proper, proper quality. And just watching him in a race was was to know that, because you know, usually it's the champion hurdlers, you know, the two milers that that dominate in terms of hurdling. You're more likely, or it, ha- it is often more likely to find the classiest horses there. In Barracuda's era, that was not always the case because he was so very good indeed. And yeah, it was he was a a really charismatic horse, and I'm glad that he lived to such a ripe old age and had a and had a really good retirement. Did Francois Dumas ever kiss your hand? He did not. Did he? Did he? You? <laughs> no, but he he did, he did kiss my mother's hand after Nupsala won the King George in 1987. She was oh, very happy. she was very she was very very thrilled by this. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a bit different. Let's face it, wasn't he? Oh, very much so. Very much so. He was he was really entertaining, interesting, and challenging to interview. Um, I, I I liked him. He was he often said said very very interesting, challenging things, and you know I that was you know uh, stimulating. I, I I enjoyed talking to him, and obviously he he was a very 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 good trainer. Well, that is just about it for today. I need. I've been on the edge of my seat waiting for this, <laughs> <laughs> waiting for this tip. Right. So all season, I thought that the Denman Chase is absolutely ideal for El Dorado, Alan. I think he needs. Um, I I think a flat track suits him. I think left-handed is necessary. So I I, I think that the King George run, which was satisfactory, probably is not as good as he can be. I know that they've put on cheek pieces for the first time. Yeah, maybe that'll help. But more than anything, I think it, the track will suit him right down to the ground, and I think he can beat Hitman and the rest of them in the Betfair Denman Chase, which is the two twenty-five at Newbury on Saturday. Lydia, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Charlotte is taking a well-earned break, so no Saturday edition today. Uh, But hopefully we've covered enough off for you, and I will be back with you on Monday. See you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.